You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Uh, please tag a friend and let them know that we're live today and we're beginning a new series and we thank you so very much for sending in your questions. I got my iPad here and we're ready to, to just get started today and I believe it's gonna be a blessing. Send your questions, send your comments in and we thank you so very much for being with us today. Well, we're beginning a new series entitled Integrity, the Cornerstone Value of Heaven. Integrity the cornerstone value of heaven. This is a five lesson series and it is a a character-based series. The Spirit of God spoke to me some time ago and he said that the, uh, the next move of God will be in the area of character. So these are our last series on the fruit of the Spirit and this series on integrity. Uh, they are character-based series, and I believe that they're going to be a blessing to you and prepare us for the next move of God. So our subtopic is the value of integrity, the value of integrity. When we talk about values, we're talking about our standards, we're talking about our beliefs, we're talking about our ideals that influence God and determine our action. You see, our values establish the parameters on which we make decisions and we draw conclusions. And everyone have values. You have values, I have values, we have values, and our values uh, send ethical messages to others, and our values also attract others who have like values. So let's talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, in the New Living Translation, it says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now, it, it, when you made Jesus, and if you're born again, you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, then you were, we were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And it was like, it was like an act of immigration into a new country. Uh, several years ago, I I had the opportunity along with some of my uh, close pastor friends to do some mission work in uh, Russia. And it was just really outstanding. It was just absolutely amazing. But when I entered the airport, we landed, entered the airport, I knew that I was in a different country, a different world. You know, uh, the people in Russia uh, were just beautiful people. They were hungry for the word and it was exciting, but you knew you were somewhere else. And if I had to move into a country, it would be an adjustment to that value system and to that country. And that's the way it is in the kingdom of God. We were transferred 
out of one value system, the kingdom of darkness, into another value system, the kingdom of God's dear son, and there are two value systems. So let's talk about it. The kingdom of darkness values lies and deception. The kingdom of God values truth. So we have two things in juxtaposition. The kingdom of darkness values lies and deception. Notice what it says in John chapter 8, verses 44 in the New Living Translation. It says, for you, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. He said, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things. He does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with this character for he, the devil, is a liar and he's the father of lies. So Satan is the king or ruler over the kingdom of darkness. That's the kingdom that we were in when we were unsaved. And that kingdom values lies and deception. Now that you and I are in the kingdom of God, this new kingdom that we're in, it values truth. I give you some proof text for that. In Psalms 31, verse 5, in the New King James Version, the scripture says that our Father, our Father God, is the God of truth. And then in John 14, 6, in the New King James Version and the traditional King James Version, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John 16, 13, in the New King James Version, it says, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide us into all truth. So when we look at the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our Father God is the Lord God of truth. When we look at Jesus, Jesus says, I am truth. And then the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us, the Bible says that when he, the Holy Spirit comes, he's the spirit of truth and he will guide us into all truth. So we see this kingdom now, this is so very important, this kingdom that we're in as Christians values truth. The kingdom of darkness values lies and deception. Now, in this series, Integrity, the Cornerstone of Heaven, we're talking about integrity as a value. We could, talk, could have talked about other values. Giving is a value in the kingdom of God. Service is a value in the kingdom of God. Teamwork is a value. Worship is a value. Uh, unity is a value. But I believe, based off scripture, and the scripture we just quoted, that the cornerstone value 
the most important value in the kingdom of God is integrity. For, for, so for the next four weeks, along with this one, a five-week session, we're going to be talking about integrity. Now, here's where we're going. There are four pillars of integrity that we're going to discuss. We're going to talk about the pillar of honesty, the pillar of consistency. We're going to talk about the pillar of purity, and we're going to talk about the pillar of authenticity. Now, we're not going to get into that to next lesson, but today we want to talk about, okay, what is integrity and why is integrity important? What is integrity? Why is integrity important? Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. Now, listen, are you a person of integrity? Is integrity a value of yours? Now, think about it for just a moment. Are you a person of integrity? Is integrity a value of yours? It is a value of the kingdom. In fact, it is the cornerstone value. Usually in my lessons and in my teaching, when I discuss a theme or a subject or a topic, I will give several definitions to give a comprehensive view of that concept or that term or that subject. But in, in this lesson, this uh, series, we're going to work with one primary definition of integrity. One primary definition of integrity. Now listen at this. What is integrity? Integrity is who you are and what you do when no one is looking. Integrity is who you are and what you do when no one is looking. That's a very simple definition, but it's a very powerful definition. So let's, let's dive into it. Let's talk about it. Who you are and what you do when no one is looking. Now, uh, let's, let's talk about myself. I am a pastor, and I'm a teacher, and I pastor a, a wonderful church, Faith Chapel, Birmingham, Faith Chapel, Columbus, Georgia. Wonderful church. I'm a part of a teaching team. My son, Michael K., is the executive pastor of the church, and we have a campus pastor in Columbus, Georgia, uh, Naomi Scarborough, and myself, we are part of a teaching team. And when we teach, we usually teach from a stage. We have a stage in Columbus. We have a stage here in Birmingham in our sanctuary. Some of you may teach from a pulpit. Now, think about it. Every Sunday, I am teaching from a stage. But my members cannot see my integrity while I'm ministering on the stage. 
my integrity is not manifest on the stage. In fact, you're viewing me or listening to this podcast, but you're not experiencing my integrity. You're not witnessing my integrity because my integrity is who I am and what I do when no one is looking. So I uh, don't do as much counseling as I used to do. This is my 40th year pastor in Faith Chapel, so I don't do as much counseling as I used to do. But from time to time, I would counsel females one-on-one in an office. And then now there are female leaders on our staff, female congregants, female volunteers. And from time to time, you may or I may be in a one-on-one session, a one-on-one lunch, a one-on-one meeting with a female in a private setting. Now, I'm married, and I've been married for 43 years. I'm happily married. My wife is my very best friend. But my integrity is not when my wife is watching. My integrity is in that office when, with that female when no one is watching. My integrity is when folk can't see me. And that's true of you. Maybe you're an apostle, a prophet, or evangelist, or a pastor, or a teacher. Your integrity is not on that stage or that pulpit. Your integrity is not when people see you in public. Your integrity is when no one is looking. What do you do? What do you say? How do you carry yourself when no one is looking? Husbands, your integrity is not when your wife is present. Your integrity is when your wife is not present. Wives, your integrity is not when your husband is watching. Your integrity is when your husband is not watching. Whether you are a student or a child, your integrity is when your parents are not watching. Maybe some of you work in an office space and maybe you work in the presence of your supervisor in that space, but that's not your integrity. Your integrity is when you're working remotely. Your integrity is when you're working at home and you have no one supervising you. You know, my uh, we have a, a family space in our home where we watch together a television. Now, we got a theater downstairs, but usually we upstairs and we watch in what we call the a family space or a den, if you want to call it that. But usually I'm there and my daughter may be there or my son may be there or or. I'm there and we may be watching a movie or we may be watching television. And, but, you know, as the, the day goes on and the night goes on, we tend to leave and we don't all leave and go to our rooms and go to bed at the same time. So integrity is not what we watch when everybody's looking. Integrity is what we watch on television when no one is there, when everyone leaves. It's what you watch on your smartphone or you watch on your personal computer. 
So who are you? Who are you when no one is looking? So integrity is who we are and what we do when no one is looking. I love that definition. Now listen at this. Integrity is doing the right thing in the unsupervised areas of our lives. It's doing the right thing in the unsupervised areas of our lives. Now, I got my uh, iPad here. You can send your comments. You can send your questions. And at the end of the session, I'm going to read your comment and I'm going to attempt to answer your questions. Is doing the right thing. Do you do the right thing when you're not supervised, when no one is watching? Your integrity is your behind closed doors behavior. Your behind closed doors integrity. Your behind closed doors behavior. Your integrity is your commitment when there's no audience. Your commitment when there's no audience. Now, think about this. All of us, you and I, have a public life, or we have a public self, and we have a private life, or we have a private self. Now, your reputation is your public self. It's what people see, is what people think, is what people perceive about you. It may even be your their perception of your integrity. But people's perception of your integrity may not be your integrity because that's just your public self. When people see me in public, when people see me preaching, when people see me out in the, in the community, that's not my integrity. That's my public self. But I also have a private self. You have a public self and you have a private self and your integrity is your private self. And I, I'll take that a step further. Your private self is the real you. Think about that for a moment. Your private self is the real you. Now, here's a statement that I, I want you to make note of because it's a very powerful statement. Your private self or your private world will either be a friend or an enemy of your future. I'll say that one more time because that's powerful. Your private world or your private self will be either an friend or an enemy of your future. Now, whether we want it to or not, our private world eventually will become public, a part of our public reputation, our private world. If you have two worlds, if you have two worlds and you have that public self and your private self and they're not consistent, 
It's your private world that's going to eventually show up. And it's going to be either a friend or an enemy of your future. Downtown Birmingham, there are a number of Building. Some are tall and some are not as tall. And you go into any major city, they have what they call skyscrapers. And there's usually an, a, a construction engineer that oversees the construction of those large buildings. So when the construction in, engineer talks about the structural integrity of the building, it's not, he's not talking about the beauty of the building. He's not talking about the exterior external grandeur and, and, and all the elegance of the building, when the construction engineer talks about the structural integrity of the building, it's talking about the foundation that runs deep into the earth. He's talking about those steel beams that undergird and those steel beams that strengthen the building. In other words, the structural integrity of the building is the hidden part of the building, not the visible part of the building. You know, the Bible says that we're God's building. We're God's building. And the integrity, the structural integrity of our lives is really not what people see. It's not the exterior. The Structural integrity of your life, your building, your life, is what people cannot see. So I never, I never feel good when people fall, whether they be lay leaders or leaders or ministry leaders. I never feel good about that. That always saddens me when a leader fails or a leader falls and it shouldn't it should sadden us too it shouldn't be something that we're happy about but we all know what happened or what happens when a leader falls when a leader falls and it may be a, a husband it may be parents it, it could be uh, leaders at work or leaders in ministry or governmental leaders Usually, when a leader falls, it is a failure to manage the hidden part of their life. It is a failure to manage their private world. It's a, a failure to manage their private self. And that's why this series is so very important because oftentimes, especially in church, we become um, satisfied with appearance. You know, we, we want to look a certain way. We, we, we want to appear to be a certain way. And, and really, to be honest with you, oftentimes we, we can end up deceiving ourselves because people think we're great. People think well of us. People are uh, affirm us and they salute us and they praise us and all those things. But if our private world, our private self is not really together, then sooner or later it would become very apparent 
that we mismanage that area. So I think that we should be more concerned about our private world, more concerned about our private self, because that's where your integrity is. Your integrity, and I want you to get this, I want you to really get this, is not how you look publicly. It's your private world that's very important. Your personal thoughts, your personal motives, your personal intentions, and your private behavior. That's your integrity. Who I am, what I do when no one's looking. Who you are, what you do when no one is looking. Now, let's talk about, let's answer the second question because we're going to get to the pillars in our next session. But let's answer the second question. Why is integrity important? Why is it important that we we have integrity in our hearts and in our lives and in our lives and in our ministries, in our business, at work, um, as parents, as spouses, as leaders, as followers. Why is it important that we have integrity? I have four basic reasons that I like to share with you, four basic reasons why integrity is important. Number one, why is integrity important? Integrity is important because God's word will not produce in a dishonest heart. God's word will not produce in a dishonest heart. Now, years ago, years ago, the Spirit of God spoke to me and he said, the word of God is the answer. And that's been kind of a theme of my life and ministry in our church. The word of God is the answer. And, I, you know, I, our campus pastor, Naomi, in, in um, Georgia, she's a very powerful leader. And she always said that the word works all the time. And it does. And it works for everybody if we'll work it, if we'll work it. And that's the qualifier. Now, listen at this, though. It works all the time and works for everybody, but it will not work in a dishonest heart. Now, I want to give you the proof text for this, and I, I, want, to, I want you to really listen to this because I think there are Christians who feel like Well, I'm working the word. I'm standing on the word. I'm confessing the word. I'm doing the word. I'm giving and and I'm I'm doing all these things. Well, let's let's look at this thing. And I want to give you some proof text. Is your heart dishonest? Is your heart dishonest? Now, when we look at Luke chapter 8, verse 15. In the New Living Translation, and then I want to read it in the traditional King James Version, it's talking about how the seed, Luke 8 talks about the parable of the soil. The seed, which is the word of God, fell on four kinds of soils. It fell on the wayside soil. It fell on the stony soil. It fell on the thorny soil. And then it fell on good ground. 
Now listen what it says about, because only one kind of soil brought forth fruit. And that was the good ground. I thank you for your comment here. I appreciate your comment. I'm going to read it in a, in a bit. It says, and the seed that fell on the good soil represents honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Now, let's read this in the King James Version. Luke chapter 8, verse 15, it says, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Now, I want you to listen carefully because sometimes we miss the qualifiers there. It says, a good ground hearer brings forth a hundredfold. Now watch, 36 and a hundredfold. Now watch this. It says that this good ground person hears the word. Faith comes by hearing. It says this good ground person keeps the word. That means they practice the word. They do the word. They act on the word. And then it says they bring forth fruit with patience. In other words, they're consistent. So they're hearing, they're practicing, and they're consistent. Patience, consistency. But what people often miss in this text, Luke 8, 15, is there's a qualifier there that's beyond the hearing and the keeping and the patience. It says, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart. That's a heart of integrity. So that tells us now that it is possible to hear the word and it's possible to practice the word and it's possibly consistent and yet have a, a dishonest heart. You lack integrity in the private areas of your life. And the Bible says that it will hinder that word from producing. And I think that there's some, and, and we're going to give you so many illustrations, already probably giving you some illustrations, and so many Christians can't figure out why the word is not producing. But the heart is, is dishonest. It's not a heart of integrity. It's, it, some people are not operating in integrity on their jobs. They're not operating in integrity at school. They're not operating in integrity in their family lives. And they're wondering why the word won't produce because they're confessing and they're acting and they're giving, but they have a dishonest heart. Now, now listen at this. The second reason why, the, why integrity is so important is because integrity holds all the pieces of the believer's spiritual armor together. Now, I uh, prepare our sermons ahead of time. Please send in your comments and your questions here, and I'm going to answer them in a moment. I prepare my sermons ahead of time, so I'm already into next year, and I've prepared a series on the whole arm of God. It's a part of our walking in authority. But Ephesians chapter 6, I'll give you a bit of it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, tells us to put on the whole arm of God, 
so that we will stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, notice it says that we have to put on the whole armor so that we can stand against the deceptions, the feet of the devil. And we've learned that the devil's value is lies and deception. So we've got to put on the whole armor if we're going to stand against the devil. The first piece of armor, the very first piece of armor is the belt of truth. Now, Ephesians 6, 14, it says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckle around your waist. That is the first piece of armor that we're to put on. And why is that so important? When we look at the Roman soldier, and when Paul was using these analogies, the backdrop was Rome and Roman soldiers. The Roman soldier would put on a belt around the waist. And Paul called it the belt of truth. Now, here's the thing about it. The belt stabilized the breastplate. The breastplate covered the central, uh, the center of the body, the heart and lungs and all that. And then the Roman soldier had a uh, uh, shield and he hung his shield on the a belt and he had a sword and he hung his sword on the belt. So we see now that the belt stabilized the breastplate and the belt held in place the sword and the shield. Well, when you look at this belt, he called this belt the belt of truth. He called this breastplate the breastplate of righteousness. He said the shield is the shield of faith and the sword is the word of God. The sword is the word of God. So you got your breastplate righteousness. So if you're going to have to stand, if you're going to stand against the devil, you have to stand in Christ's righteousness, not your righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. If you're going to stand against the devil, you have to have your shield. It's the shield of faith. So when you throw those fiery darts against your mind and your circumstance, you got your shield of faith. And then you got your sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and you drive him back with the word coming out of your mouth. But now follow me. This belt was the belt of truth. And if you studied that word truth out, it is it's, it's the, it's the belt of integrity. So the first thing that you have to put on is the belt of truth or integrity. Because integrity holds your breastplate of righteousness in place. Your breath, your, your integrity holds your sword and your shield. So now think about it. You're dealing with the father of lies. You're dealing with a enemy who values lies and deception. You're not going to be 
able to keep your, your breastplate of righteousness in place if you dishonest, if you have a dishonest heart, if you're not operating in integrity, then how can you take a shield and take a sword to drive away someone who values the father of lies if you're operating in deception yourself? It is impossible because when you lack integrity, you're playing in on Satan's playground and you're playing with his toys. So how in the world are you going to tell him, get out of my back, get out of the yard when you're playing on his yard? You're playing in his territory. Satan understands that we cannot resist him because that's his territory, lies and deception. So if I'm operating in deception with my spouse or I'm operating in deception as a pastor, I'm standing on the pulpit and I'm preaching, but in private, I'm living something different. In my business dealings, I'm operating in dishonesty. I'm cheating at school. How in the world am I going to, to drive away an enemy who created deception? Who, who, or, uh, he is the father of lies and deception. So listen, you can't stand against the devil. You can't even stand if you don't have on the belt of integrity. So why? Thank you. I got three comments. Thank you so very much. You can send your comments in at this time. You can send your questions in at this time. But we're talking now about why integrity is so important. Number one, God's word will not produce in a dishonest heart. And if you have any questions about what I'm saying, send your questions in. The integrity, secondly, holds all the pieces of the believer's spiritual armor together. Here's the third. Here's the third reason why integrity is so very important. Integrity is the pri the private world is the focus of the father. The private world is the focus of the father. Now, now I follow this proof text. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, here's a scenario. Here's the historical context. Saul the king had, had operated in rebellion, and so God said, I reject Saul. I'm going to raise up me a new king from Jesse's household. And that new king was to be David. So the Lord sent Samuel the prophet to Jesse's household to anoint one of his sons. Now, watch this. Samuel the prophet didn't know which son it was. And so Jesse brought all of his sons. I think he brought about six sons. And the very first son he brought up was the eldest son, Eliab. Now, when Samuel... Because at this point, he was looking at his appearance when he saw how tall he was 
and how kingly he looked. Samuel said to himself, surely this is the Lord's anointing. Surely this is the one the Lord wants. He was looking at the appearance of Eliab. And because he looked kingly, his exterior, his height, he was tall. I mean, he just looked like a king. Samuel thought to himself, surely he's the one. And the Lord spoke to him, to the prophet Samuel, said, listen, don't anoint him. Don't anoint him. He said, for I have rejected him. Now, listen at that. God said, I rejected him. Now, you have to get over into the 17th chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17, to know why the Lord rejected him. Because Jesse's oldest son, he, he had an arrogance, a heart. There was something in his heart that was rot, rotten because when his baby brother came down to, to the war, he got all over his baby brother. And, re and remember now, I'm getting, ahead, I'm getting a little ahead, but you got to follow me. He knew God had anointed him, and yet he didn't want him down at that wall. He rejected him. He said, go back home and stay with them sheep. Now, watch this. So Jesse brought all of his sons up there. Eliab first. God said, I reject him. He, God said, I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. I look on the private arenas of a man's life. Now watch this. He brought the other sons, five other sons. God rejected them. No. And he said, do you have any other sons? And just said, well, I got one son, but he's a young son. He's out there keeping those sheep. And surely that's not the one you want. He said, go get him. He brought David. When David came in, just a kid, brought him in, didn't look kingly at all, nothing kingly about him. And the spirit of God spoke to Samuel and said, that's the one. Now follow me. And God, through Samuel, anointed David in front of his brothers. So his brothers knew he had the anointing on his life. So you can see right away that when David went to take some food to his brothers at war in the 17th chapter, they were facing Goliath, and Eliab got all over David for coming down there and told him to go back and watch those little sheep. He rejected him. He was jealous of him, even though he knew that the anointing was on his baby brother. He saw it. He witnessed it. And God says, listen, don't select that guy because I rejected him because God saw his heart. You see, our private world is the focus of the Father. God is not looking at the exterior because we can fake it. You know, we, we can say all the right things. We can say, I love everybody. We can say this and we can say that. But God doesn't look at all our exterior. We look at the exterior. We judge by the exterior, but God looks at the private world. He sees your private world. He sees you when you are alone and nobody's looking. And that's the arena that God looks at. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 4. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your questions. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 in the NIV. Now watch this. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom 
we must give an account. Now, I want you to notice two things. Nothing is hidden from God. Nothing. Nothing. That's why the Bible said everything is laid bare before him. Everything is naked before him. And it says he's the one we have to give an account. That's why I said you can't see my integrity on the stage. My integrity is when I'm counseling that female in that office and no one is in there. My integrity is when I'm one-on-one in a private setting with some or a female other than my wife. You see, that's really my integrity. And that's your integrity too, because God can see in that office. God can see me in my private world. God can see you in your private world. And that's why your private world is really you. That's who you really are. So how are you managing your private world? Because your private world is the focus of the Father. It's when you're working remotely. It's when you're working at home. How do you work? I mean, how do you work when nobody's watching you? You see, your private world is the world that the Father focuses on. Anybody can be good on the stage. Anybody can be good out in front. Anybody can work hard when folk looking. Anybody can be honest when the teacher's in the room. Anybody can be honest. I, I talked about how my daddy used to take me on dates before I got my license. He would he would drop me off, and I I would I would tell my dad to not take me to the house. I'm I'm going to see the girls, see, and I want dad to take me to the house. So he'd drop me off a few blocks, and then he'll pick me up, and I call him, and then I let him know I'm about ready, and then I meet him uh, when I, I leave my date because my date was just at the girl's house. I was on this date, your sofa sitting date, that's what they used to do in those days. And uh, the mama of the girl came down. I'm sitting on the little sofa in the little private area, the little dining, the little uh, sitting area uh, with the girl. And the mama came down at night dusting. See, that, that, them parental, uh, I call it the parental fences. She was down there dusting at night. Well, she wanted to see what her daughter's doing. So I got my dad on one end and then I got uh, her mama on the other end. But that's not my integrity. My integrity is when I get my license and now I'm alone with the girl. And my integrity is when I go off to college and all those parental fences drop. And now I can stay out as late, do what I want to do. Now that's my integrity. Your integrity is when no one is watching. Well, the fourth reason why integrity is important. Number one, God's word will not produce in a dishonest heart. Number two, uh, integrity holds all the pieces of the believer's spiritual armor together. Number three, your private world is the focus of the Father. And integrity is important because as kingdom citizens, we cannot represent or lead others into what we're not committed to. We cannot represent or lead others into what we're not committed to. To. You know, the, we've learned that we're kingdom citizens and we've learned that we're ambassadors. We're the light of the world. So we are leader. If you're a believer, you're a leader. 
and we're called to lead the world, but you cannot lead someone or represent someone to, in something you're not committed to. Now that's something you have to get. The bottom line on it, as a pastor, I cannot represent God and lead the congregation into something that I'm not committed to. If I'm not committed to integrity, I can't lead other folk into it. And if you're listening to me, you're a pastor, you can't lead people into what you're not committed to. And I have pastors who look up to me in different parts of the country. They look up to me. Some of them consider me a spiritual, a father in the faith. Others consider me a mentor and they look up to me. But I can't represent God to them and I can't lead them if I'm not committed to it. You cannot, and that's true of anything. I learned that years ago. I can't lead people I can't represent God in the area of giving and lead people to be giving if I'm not committed to giving. Anything that you're trying to lead people into, anything you're trying to coach or mentor people into, you cannot represent a product, a church, an organization, a group you cannot represent God if you're not committed to what God is committed to. You cannot lead folk if you're not committed to what you're trying to lead them into. Now, your integrity is critically important. In fact, I keep a journal and the Spirit of God uh, spoke to me uh, this year, in March of this year, and he said to me, it's an integrity race. An integrity race. First Corinthians chapter 9 says that everyone is in the race and running in the race, but only one will receive the prize. So it says, run that you may win. So the scripture says, as Christians, we're in a race, but only one will receive the prize. Hebrews 12.1 says, we'll lay aside every weight in the sin that besets us and run the race. So we're in a spiritual race as believers. And God spoke to me in March of this year, and he said, it's an integrity race. So I want to challenge you. I have uh, some comments here that I'm going to get to in a moment, but I want to challenge you. Regardless to the situation, regardless to the cost, regardless to the pressures and the incentives to do otherwise, are you willing to enter the integrity race? And it's, it, it's, it's a challenging race because it's going to cost you something. You know, I tell you, I, you know, I um, I like the the um, shower gel at uh, uh, 
at the Body Works store. They got a shower gel for men. I like that shower gel. And from time to time, they they send you coupons and stuff like that so you get discounts on it. Usually those two coupons have a time frame on it, time limit, expiration date. And, you know, if you get that coupon and you see that that date is expired and yet you're going to try to pass it on anyway, that's an integrity issue. You know, we sometimes reserve hotel rooms and they have occupancies, um, capacity occupancy. And you got five folk in your party or your family, but you have to have four people in, in a room and you're going to sneak Johnny in there because nobody's going to check you. That's an integrity issue. You go to the bank and you uh, cash your check and you wanted some cash, you know, you wanted some cash, and they give you $10 or $5 too much, and you drive all the way on the other side of town and realize they gave you too much money, or you're willing to drive all the way back town to give them that $5 back. It's, it's, you're going to discover in this series that it's going to cost you, and are you willing to enter the integrity race? because it's a challenge. It's gonna be inconvenient, it's gonna be uncomfortable, and folk are going to think that you are crazy because it, you're gonna have many incentives to go with the group. But if you're gonna have integrity, you're gonna be standing alone in a lot of situations. Now, we that's just our introduction. Next week, we're gonna to begin to talk about the first pillar we're going to talk about honesty next week, and we're going to dive deeper into it. But I do have some comments here. Uh, comment number one says, your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men, but it's your character that will keep you there. I appreciate you so much, Pastor Mike. I've learned so much from you. Now, that's a good comment. That's a great comment, and I agree with it 100%. Your gift will make room for you, the person says, and bring you before great men, but it's your character that will keep you there. And that is so, that is so true. Many times, and, and you know, it's unfortunate that much of the time when, when people rise to the top, Oftentimes, when they fail or fall, even in a secular arena or in the ministry or in Christendom, it's usually a character issue. It's usually some kind of integrity issue because you can be gifted, you can be talented, and your gift and your talent can cause people to, to, to move in your direction and give it'll create favor for you and all this kind of stuff. But when you get to the top, you're going to be faced with things that you may not have been faced with on the way up. And you're going to have many opportunities to cut corners, and only your character will keep you on the top. I think that's a wonderful comment. Here's another comment. Um, this is the hardest teaching you and Michael K has exposed me to and challenged me to do. 1 Corinthians 11, 28, self-examination. I have a lot of work to do. Help Jesus. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good comment. That's a good comment. Let me, let me say something about it. Um, 
I thought I had another. Then I have another comment. I thought it was a copy. Huh? It was a copy of the same one. Okay, it was the same one. Uh, let me say something about this. This comment is just beautiful. This is the hardest teaching you and Michael Kids exposed me to and challenged me to do. And 1 Corinthians 11, 28 talks about self-examination. I have a lot of work to do. Help Jesus. Now, what I hear in this comment, listen at me. What I hear in this comment is your integrity. Now, what you're saying, I think you're saying, is putting pressure on you and you see adjustments you have to make, and that's great. Now, the reason why I say it, you have integrity is because you're willing to accept the fact that you have areas and you have work to do. I think that is great. And, and, and what you have to remember this teaching is not about perfection. It's not about you being perfect. It's not about you doing everything right and touching all your dots and all that. No. If we were, if we had to be perfect, we wouldn't need the righteousness of Christ. We wouldn't need the breastplate of righteousness because we'd be perfect in ourselves. God knows we're not perfect, okay? But when we, we stand in Christ's righteousness, he sees us as perfect, but he still requires us to have integrity, which means honesty. What I see here is that you're honest about what you're hearing, it's exposing some areas of weaknesses. It's showing you that you've got work to do, and that's integrity. It's, it's, it's being honest about the fact that I have work to do, but it's also a willingness to make the adjustments. And remember, you're not making the adjustments by yourself. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And it's not just willpower. It's you asking the Holy Spirit, give me the strength, give me the grace, guide me, strengthen me, help me, Holy Spirit. And he helps you to work on those areas. But guess what? It is a challenge for me. And it's a challenge for Mike. Okay, it's a challenge for anybody that teaches this. This teaching will put pressure on you, but it's a good pressure. It's a good pressure. And what God is looking at is our honesty. Remember, even after David failed, committed adultery, had a man killed, the Bible says he repented. There were some consequences he experienced that was tough. But Acts 13, centuries later, God still called David a man after his own heart. Because once he was called on the carpet, now he tried to hide it at first, but when the prophet came up and said, you're the man, David repented. He changed, and God says he was a man after God's own heart. So you don't have to be perfect to have integrity. You don't have to do everything right to have integrity, but you have to be honest. There have been times that I missed it, and God know I missed it. And there were times I had to stand in front of church and say, listen, I'm sorry, I missed it. I made this mistake. I did this. I shouldn't have done this. 
And I believe that you can have integrity even if you're missing it. But you got to be honest. You can't be trying to live one way, operate another way, and just think everything going to be fine. And you know you're living a life of duplicity. I think those are great comments. Uh, this is going to be a, a great session for you. Keep letting us put pressure on you because guess what? We get the messages first. We have a time. We sound perfect. Only reason we sound perfect because we don't heard it first before we share. We have a chance to adjust before we share with you and it's pressure on all of us. So I think this is outstanding. Thank you for your comments. Such a blessing. And uh, we'll, we'll pick up right here uh, next week. 